Welcome, welcome everybody to the Green Man Podcast. You're listening to the Green Man Podcast. You're listening to the Green Man Podcast. Hi, my name is Arthur and I'm a PhD student at UCL. Um, Kofi and I are one of members of 12 in the UCL outreach program. Um, and I'll let Kofi introduce you to UCL more. Yeah. I'll be a Kofi after you. Yeah. Hello, so I'm Kofi. Uh, I'm just like Arthur, I'm a PhD student at UCL. We've been powering the Omni tent in the Einstein's garden of beautiful green man for 11 years, I think. Um, and just doing that. And we have a little stand next to the Omni tent where we educate the public on the technology behind how the Omni, how the Omni tent's being powered. Oh yeah, I'm, my name's Mary. I'm um, a professor of geography at Swansea University, but I'm a climate scientist by background. Um, and the bit of climate science that I work on is all about our trees and forests and climate change. So if you, you've probably all seen inside a downed trunk of a tree that there's rings inside it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those rings kind, kind of mark this ongoing conversation that goes on across the planet between our forests and trees and our climate. And they tell us what's happened in the past and they give us clues about what's coming for our, for our planet with the mm-hmm. nature and climate crisis that we're facing. And yeah, so I'm here at Green Man giving a talk this afternoon in the Omni tent in beautiful Einstein's garden and it's called Environmental Apocalypse and Me. So oh, for me, because I'm a geographer by background, I guess, you can't study our climate and particularly that kind of relationship between our trees and forests and nature and people and what's happening on our planet without going, okay, what individual action can I take? And so I, like lots of us who work in, work in this kind of area, asked myself that question over the last decade, I guess. And when I tried to find out, ended up going down this wormhole of confusion and complexity and overwhelm. And I guess geographers like grey, we don't like black and white. So I just decided to take everyone down the wormhole with me. That's what I'm trying to talk through. It's not a talk that says definitely do this. Um, yeah. I think it's really hard to figure this stuff 100%. out. Which I guess takes yeah. us. Yeah, so I'm Hannah. I work for a, a climate charity called Possible. Uh, we used to be called 1010 Climate Action. And it's all about positive, practical steps that people can do that make a meaningful difference. Um, and that includes individual actions, like you mentioned, Mary, and then also like sort of structural stuff and policy stuff. So we work with individuals, communities, councils, governments, um, MPs, and decision makers, all about like positive steps that they can take and so I'm here because we have a little pop-up low carbon travel agency mm-hmm. in Einstein's garden so we're helping people um, plot their like flight free travel plans and um, we tell them oh, amazing tell them how to get places uh, without flying and we also have a scheme which we're sort of promoting here which is we get businesses to give them uh, give their staff extra days off like holiday each year if they don't fly. So it gives you the extra time so that you can take the train or coach. So how would that work? If I was working for a company, I could say, okay, we've decided this year as a family to travel by train. Yeah. And then I'd get extra extra days off at work. Yeah, pretty much. So how it works is you would go to your employer and they would give you like a form which says, um, how long would your trip take by flight? And how long will it take you to get there by train or however you're going there with your family? And the sort of time difference is what would be given you given back oh, so in nice. additional paid leave. Oh, so right. a bit like paid volunteering leave. It's like a an employee perk that sort of you can claim up to usually up to two days a year. I think that's really interesting as well, and almost 
the thing that I get asked, I get asked two things as a climate scientist again and again. Am I scared about what's happening to our planet and what's the one thing I can do? Mm. And everyone wants the one thing, the simple thing. You know, we all want that silver bullet. I think it's really hard to say back to people, you know, everything we have to do everything we need every sector to make changes yeah. at like a pace and scale that we've never seen before yeah and actually coming back to but it's okay to just do one thing as mm. well how do you guys talk about that with energy i think that what we have to start by saying is that the what we're doing is like energy storage so we're looking at just more sustainable ways to store different types of energy like all of our research is a uh, we are doing phds in the same sector so in the battery sector like short-term energy storage. And then, what you've got to give us your like 10 second sure. PhD summary. What's okay. your PhD? <laughs> yeah. I know nothing about sure. science. Okay, fine. Hit us. So mine is tied, broadly titled listening to batteries. And what that means is oh. I place these probes on top of the battery surface to try and improve their safety and performance by basically listening to what they're doing so batteries are complex systems and they make sounds when they're happy so when they're functioning normally but then they make different sounds when they're functioning badly and not performing correctly so what we tried to do is give us a happy sound a bad sound you knew i was gonna (laughs) so they we have like we see like it's an ultrasonic region, which means we can't obviously listen to them ourselves. Yeah. But what we can do by having these probes is we can understand what sounds we expect when the battery is cycling normally. And then when they start going wrong, then they start releasing different sounds. And then we try and correlate that to improving safety. And then it means that it's, it's just more sustainable long term as well because you can have... Because they're performing better. Exactly, performing yeah, better. Amazing. The big thing with battery technology, I'd say, if you, don't, if you agree, Kofi, is... The, the only way it's going to work and be a sustainable system is, is if we can actually start recycling these, 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 oh, these yeah. batteries mm, better yeah. um, and so like have circular economy. Yeah, exactly, a circular yeah, economy. Sure. So having ones that last longer and perform better long term and that there's less safety concern means that it can actually be a green technology. It's so interesting as well because I think there's so many problems that we're trying to solve and we've got ourselves in a position by not taking action as, as a society and as a planet mm. soon enough. We have to now solve them all at once. Mm. Mm. But actually when you dig into this stuff, it's really hopeful and really positive to hear things like that. We, you know, we know we need to become more sustainable and get the circular economy going with alternative energy solutions and with active mm. travel solutions. So exactly like you're saying, I want let's say I want to buy a bike and I want a battery on it. Mm. Yeah. There's lots of stuff going on right now aren't yeah, there, with there concerns is. over batteries yeah. on the bikes. And, yeah, yeah. But that, mm. that's amazing to hear you guys are on it. It's like, in our group, so we don't just do batteries. We have batteries, fuel cells, we have different types of batteries. Um, but it is just like exploring every possible option. So there's different keys for different slots, you know what I mean? So like the battery and the fuel cell thing, like I've said, short-term storage. So like for, you know, for cars, maybe for bikes, that sort of thing, you want a battery. But you know, some people don't like electric cars because there's a whole stigma yeah. around the long time to recharge, getting stuck in the motorway, and you're just mm. trapped. Which is why I like the alternative solutions, fuel cells. For the audience at home, what a fuel cell is. Yeah, please tell us. Uh, tell us what a fuel cell is, Kofi. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you, bro. Um, so my, my little cute way of saying it is it's like a generator. So a generator, you put a fuel in and you get power, nice and easy. But uh, you also get nasty, you know, pollution, uh, carbon dioxide, Horrible, horrible things. Sourcing the petrol as well. Fuel cell uses hydrogen gas. Hydrogen gas, it's everywhere. Um, and you put it in this machine and you burn it in a sort of electrochemical manner. Just, it's more efficient. Um, and that gives you power and water. And that's all you get. So there's no greenhouse gas emissions. There's no pollution. Okay. It's completely renewable. Wow. And then if you, to source the hydrogen, you can do a process called electrolysis, which is where you get water, just regular water and then you turn the water and split it into hydrogen and oxygen and you could do this say with power from a wind turbine or a solar panel 
and then you're essentially sourcing your fuel renewably and then you use it renewably and okay. the world is safe. Mm-hmm. And the world is safe. Well, it's end. that easy. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. yeah. So in the circular economy thing, like this is a total, you know, start to finish. Yeah. One of the ways that I think it's really useful to connect kids with science and innovation and everything mm. that we need to do for our environment is to tell them stories about the way innovation has happened in, in their yeah. societies and where they live. Yeah. It's very hard yeah. sometimes to connect to these technologies, I think. Yeah, that's Definitely. interesting. Like, the whole point of climate change is that it's not, you know, noticeable. Like, it's it's slow, it's gradual, and even the yeah. change is, oh, it's two degrees hotter, which is like, oh, that's nothing. But yeah. then, you know, it kills us all. <laughs> but, um, so, yeah, like what you say, having, like, grounding it, like, physical objects, tales that link to, you know, places that I've seen, places, you know, is an incredibly important tool mm. to make it real, basically, yeah. make it yeah. um, digestible. Definitely. So. And I think that's why the USAL, so this, the outreach group, is one of the things we really tried to do is come up with these analogies as you say or these sort of poignant links to people in terms of when we're trying to explain mm. tech, complex technologies in sort of simpler digestible ways and things like that so because mm. Kofi's brilliant analogy of an explanation of fuel cell spotter and then we tried to do similar things with batteries that's why we have the potatoes and then we try and mm. say yeah. do you want to become a battery and you can basically show that we we have got different demo kits and things which you can basically get kids to to place their hands between two metals, so you've got so copper and aluminium, and then you can, if you basically um, then have a voltmeter, which is a way of measuring voltage or current, you can then show that there's a voltage between their hands, and then the kids get very excited with why cool. um, they've, they've got like a current running through them, and it's, it's of course it's completely safe. Who's the best battery? Yeah, who's the best battery? <laughs> and it just comes down to who's sweatiest. Yeah, it's like, like here. <laughs> <laughs> still love games. Um, but but yeah, so come back to it. So obviously. Educating w- with those analogies is, is, yeah. is a really yeah. important way to try get and get it connection. because some people remember. Um, I wanted to ask you, Hannah, while we were chatting before, what I guess I wanted to ask all of us actually, what what motivated you? What motivates you to to do the work that you do? Good question. Um, I think my sort of my background wasn't in climate, so I'm not like a, a scientist, like like you three are. But I am interested in like sort of community empowerment and development and being able to solve the problems in our lives. So I think climate, it feels far away. It's small and gradual. It's just, it wasn't as much of interest to me. Um, But then when, you know, when I joined Possible, which is this charity, it's all about like positive practical action. So it's things that actually make your life better or do relate to something like really local. So if we are talking about energy, one of the things that we do is helping communities set up community energy projects so that they all pitch in to you know buy their own solar panels on their schools and so that means you know cheaper energy more autonomous energy systems and then like income for their communities and those kind of benefits i could that's what brings people in often to climate because it they it they are more immediate and they are speaking to values of of people who maybe aren't thinking about climate on a on a daily basis I think once you're in once you start getting into climate then you sort of it just becomes part of your motivation in itself and so yeah. Yeah. I always find it really interesting to hear people use phrases like like the fact that yeah. the phrase getting into climate is now common for us yeah. so I, I worked in climate science for for a couple of decades and when I started as a geographer I was the, I was weird there was <laughs> nobody working on climate change and particularly on the climate changes that we're seeing now and and the evidence that we have from our natural world about what's changed over the last few few hundred years there was only a few of us who were kind of looking at that information I didn't know anybody who was working on 
my kind of kind of climate science when I started out. Um, and it, it kind of one of the things that I find quite comforting is it's changed from being quite a lonely bit of geography and a bit mm. of science to everybody talking about this stuff. I, I have interesting mm. conversations with climate scientists about this because there is a bit of gristle there as well that we're like, oh, well, now even artists want to talk about climate change and, <laughs> like it's your and thing. actors and it's yeah. our thing. And I'm always there going, I, I love this. I love mm. that everybody is talking about this stuff and it's everybody's business now. It's the mm. biggest change that's happened in, in my career and the most positive. Yeah, that's great. Because when we do our like outreach stands, we get all sorts of people coming up to us. And a lot of people say, they're like, you know, this is all good what you're doing but I'm like an architect or I'm a what can I do what can I do I can't do anything but then yeah. they can like it takes takes a village it takes everyone artists architects everyone it's going to touch every aspect of existence exactly. <laughs> to make it grandiose so everyone no one gets away from it like everyone has to get into climate I think Definitely. that's one of the things um that over the years we've changed and seen changing in the way we communicate climate. Do you remember if there was one image that said climate change, it was always a polar bear sitting on an iceberg? Yeah. Oh, remember that we, image? We have that on our store. Yeah, we literally have that image on our store. Yeah, and I, I would always sit there and go, hands up who's seen a polar bear? <laughs> hands up, have any of you ever seen a polar bear in the wild? No, never. No. 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 And how am I supposed to connect with an image of a polar bear on an iceberg? Mm, that's true. That's um, but we now talk sadly because everybody is seeing the, the impacts of increasing extreme weather and climate yeah. um, in their lives those points of connection are, are around us all the time and I, I you know I really think that's a positive thing as well got, Kofi came up with a really cool game for, for with exactly that Kofi do you want to talk about the games we've got with, oh, yeah. with relating to well, that so like you were saying about grounding this sort of educational thing one of the demos we've got is to, to Lauren Chill Kit one that sounds a bit weird but to, <laughs> you know Lauren the masses um a range of like uh, carnival games that teach sort of um, such so sort of abstractions of science into fun like oh throw a ball in the hole but you're not throwing a ball you're throwing a hydrogen atom at a <laughs> platinum catalyst and it's split you know and it's it's important and so far they love it but then the uh, yeah. petrol one is just here's a board with pictures of like polar bears and forest fires in the world just smash them down because that's what you're doing when you drive a petrol car destroying that's, that's which that's is quite, quite hard, intense. Like, it's quite, yeah. But it's working so far. <laughs> is, it working? Like, yeah. is it working? Is it working I feel you? like people are having the kind of like, oh, yeah, kind of <laughs> that's so epiphany, funny. which we like to see. We love that. Epiphanies <laughs> are comforting. One of the uh, kind of props I always use for, for public talks about climate change is the tardigrade of comfort. <laughs> what okay. is it? Tell me more, please. <laughs> so tardigrades are one of the most amazing animals on our planet. They're water bears. Okay. Tiny oh, little, tiny, them. tiny yeah. animals. Oh, they're great, yeah. Um, that are in practically everything. They're in water, they're in soil, they're all over the planet. They're really old and they're amazing at living in tough environments. So oh. we have a, a, a plushy blue one with a face that actually yeah. bears no resemblance to the scientific animal, but nevertheless <laughs> is magnificent. And when we're talking about, you know, when we're sharing all the horrible numbers for the <laughs> nature and climate crisis that we're facing, we offer people the tardigrade of comfort. So they can survive in the vacuums of space, they can survive radiation. Oh, that's so funny. They're that's the so ultimate tough animal that no so one's important. ever had. I love that. That's so, so important, so I think, good. as well, because one of the things, so while we do have these games, which is, as say, just talking about the destruction, it's also really important to comfort people, as you say, with these things yeah. when you're talking about climate, because it can be quite scary. Like, we're not here to try and scare, mm. like, 
young people or even adults at all about no. this. We're just here to say like, this is what we, you know, this is the situation. It's not great, but we're trying to improve it. And everyone, as Kofi said, and you said, Mary, that everyone's got a role to play. Just I do worry about that stuff though, particularly so many young people are actually struggling with, you know, in the last, in the last few years, we've seen a whole new mental health um, definition of anxiety around our environment exactly. defined from what young mm. people are going through and that I have that what do you what do you guys how do you guys work yeah. that into the conversations yeah. that you're having well yeah I was, I was just gonna say that, that like um, one of our sort of taglines is uh, you know the climate crisis is serious and it's bad but fighting it doesn't have to be so all of we're really focusing on how taking action is a is combating those feelings in itself. Like, even if you're just doing a small thing, feeling like you're part of the solution helps you feel less hopeless and less like climate anxiety and things like that because something like planting a tree and being together in a community planting trees, seeing how one hour can mean like hedgerows and you know you're having a positive impact is really helpful for that. And then, yeah, like we, all of our campaigns are all focused around like engaging people. So they are quite fun. Like we've had like um, the climate cabaret where like we work with artists from different pockets of society to create like art, um, starting conversations and like starting conversations about solutions and how solutions do exist. Like, although we're in like, you know, a crisis, a terrible situation, like, if we all do take action and not just individuals i'm talking about like politicians as well and um countries then we can have a positive impact and we can create a not just a like safer future from the climate crisis but genuinely a better and fairer future anyway like it doesn't have to be sure. this big scary thing no. basically and, and hannah going back to you saying about like obviously it's not just individual and it's important that people yeah. realize that when you reach out to different stakeholders and yeah. what scale you said so you speak to mps and then government how what's the different what's the I guess the avenues in which you try to make impact with your solutions yeah good question um, so usually we we focus on loads of di our campaigns have loads of different areas so for example because I'm doing flying at the moment we will work with individuals to help them plot flight free travel and direct them into like good websites and links and stuff for making that easier and then we work with the businesses to get them to give their staff extra time off. But then we also work on policy campaigns. So one of the policy campaigns that we're trying to get MPs to support is a frequent flyer levy, which would, at, at the moment, the way that flights are taxed is basically when you buy a flight, you pay a certain amount of tax on that flight. And everybody who pays, who buys a flight has that same um, air passenger duty. And what we were suggesting is that we have a sort of progressive tax system, a bit like income, mm -hmm. so that the more someone flies in every in every given year, the higher that tax would be. So basically to dissuade frequent flying, which is the big problem, because if they just increase the tax, because they're gonna have to address aviation flying because it's the a biggest cause of, um, growing cause of carbon emissions. But if they just increase the tax and make it difficult for people to fly, that's one way to reduce flying, but it's just gonna price the poorest out of flights. Of and those people who are flying a lot are just gonna keep flying. Yeah. So if you have like a progressive tax system called the frequent flyer levy, which is what we're working with MPs to um, yeah. introduce, that would be like a fairer way to reduce flying. Yeah. Is, that, is that seeing support yet or is it It's is yeah, it it, up? We, um, well, I was talking to Mary about this just before we started, but um, my colleague Leo um, talked about it at the, do you remember the Citizen Climate Assembly? No, or Climate that. Citizens Assembly? It was great. It was a few years ago, wasn't it? And it was, um, it, the Citizens Assemblies are like concepts where you bring a like representative sample of the UK public together um, and they go through like a process of like basically learning on a topic, have experts from different positions, like you might have people 
from BP and people from charities and then like scientists all coming to talk about issues mm. and then the 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 um the participants in the citizen assembly come up with recommendations oh. based on that yeah. um so it's supposed to be like um yeah basically dem democratizing sort of like the solutions i mean They're it's very empowering yeah very, very big fan of them yeah i think they sound really fantastic and there was yeah there was a climate one not too long ago mm -hmm. And the question was around what should uh, the government do on the climate? And so, um, and my my colleague Leo came and talked about this frequent flyer levy, and it was you know it it was really popular among the participants, and it was put into as one of their recommendations that they put forward to the government. So that was really nice to see. There was like yeah. that was people's favourite way of addressing air, air travel because air travel is difficult, because so yeah. you can't there isn't a, yeah. a clean way to fly. Um, yeah. So it's, and people don't like to be told not, not to people do like something. People like to go on holiday. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think the one I struggle with with air travel as well is it's, um, I always call it like the one, two, three, eleven problem. So it's, it only, 50% of the emissions that come from flying are from 1% of the global population. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's horrible. It it's really true. brings together that inequality around yeah. climate change. Mm. Um, so in any one given year, I think only 11% of the population take a flight yeah. in one year. So, so there's a huge inequality, but wrapped up in that is there's some parts of the globe where flying has a much greater impact on connectivity yeah. if it's over long distances in poor nations where they don't have exactly. infrastructural travel on the ground and it's it's kind of an us problem and I think one of the things that I find most positive when we try to have conversations here is where where they're actually about difficult things that don't have a simple solution and yeah. there's and there's smart responses and we need more and more of those kind of smart responses to, to what we're looking yeah. at and it's I think it's really okay to to kind of look at our failures we haven't always got it right on climate action so yeah. tree planting can be super problematic if it doesn't have mm. management of those trees when they go mm. in the ground we can see hundreds of thousands of trees dying in droughts that have mm. been planted um there's been examples all around the world yeah so we we kind of need woodland creation and forest management for those trees when they go in the ground sticking a tree in the ground isn't isn't going to be a simple solution but actually when we've had those schemes fail, we then learn mm, from okay. them. And I think all of these projects, if we enable people to listen and think and have conversations on the back of it, that's that's really the biggest win, regardless yeah. of whether they're not that magic silver bullet in a simple yeah. way. Yeah, because well, there's, yeah, there's never going to be one silver bullet. Like It brings back to no your way. point at the beginning. There's there's not one thing you can do. It's everything. Mary, um, could you tell us more about your research? Sorry, just because yeah. I'm really interested. <laughs> like, so what, you yeah, mentioned, sure. you mentioned the so, trees and the, yeah, sorry. Yeah, absolutely. So, so the amazing thing about trees is they, they grow one ring every year in the parts of the globe where our climate is seasonal. And if you've ever grown vegetables, grown a carrot, you know that any plant cares about what the weather is doing in that year. And trees keep that regular heartbeat year after year after year, and they record in the width of their ring, the density of the wood and the chemical changes from year to year, the weather and climate that they experienced over time. And the great thing about trees is they're on a lot of parts of the planet, they're spread across the planet, so we can get that climate record for lots of parts of the planet, and they grow for a really long time. The oldest trees, living trees that we know about are 5,000 years old. The bristlecone pines in, in uh, the White Mountains and the Sierra Nevadas in, in America and California. So when geographers and geoscientists and physicists and everybody started to say, how is our climate changing? What we needed to figure out initially was what's normal in inverted commas, what's natural for our climate. And we, so if I asked you to figure out what the weather was like last week, what, what would you do? You'd ask 
yeah, a search engine yeah, of exactly, your choice. Exactly, exactly. So up to 100 years ago, meteorological offices and instrumentations would be able to tell us what our climate was like. Beyond that, we don't, we don't have any of that available data. So we have to look to natural archives and trees are our gold standard for doing that because we can get records from all around the world. So that's what, that's what I do for research. And what happened when we started to look at those records was we saw that the conditions that we were experiencing in our climate now had no equivalent in terms of extremes and in terms of average across the globe in the last at least 1,000, 2,000 years. And that's what, for a long time, we were screaming into the void of saying, this is a problem. What we are seeing in our climate is happening across the globe at the same time. There's been lots of times in the past when we've had changes in our climate, things like the Little Ice Age when it was cooler in Europe, a period in the medieval when it was warmer. But those natural climate variations happen in different places at different times. What's happening now is the whole planet is experiencing change in the same direction. And it's much faster than we see in the natural record. And really we needed to, we needed to know that before we could say, hey, we've got a problem. But we have known that for a really long time and done nothing about it. So interesting. Jeez. Yeah. Sorry about that. No, no, no. <laughs> we we no, really, we that. really tried. No, no, it's amazing, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? The, the, the trees can show you the tree. That information. So cool. I had no idea. I mean, obviously, yeah, I knew yeah. that trees had their. You can see how old they are by their year, but I had no idea it was they gave you that much information about. Yeah. That's, it's, that's incredible. They um yeah, our forests do amazing things for nature, for people, for climate over. 80% of the terrestrial biodiversity is in our forests. Yeah. Um, the Amazon alone has, you know, it's the world's biggest rainforest. It's home to 47 million people. They're big and important yeah. for every aspect of our environment. And I think, yeah. you know, for me, it, you kind of, yeah, we're looking down that wormhole and seeing changes that were happening and um, realizing that we were not, we were not fixing things fast enough. Yeah. And I suppose, and now surely, you can use that going forward to give, give out more impact and tell more people give it, because it provides more data that it's ever increasing more and more and people now are listening or, or still is there a reluctance to trust yeah. the science in there I think because I mean we yeah we, we do have problems in, in the scientific community of um, bit of a backlash against expertise right now and it I think to be honest what what worries me more than anything else kind of giving a spoiler alert to my talk here, I do finish by saying there is one thing we can all do. Yeah. There actually is. Yeah. And it's actually listen to each other. Mm, We'd need, definitely. we understand where we are in the science. We really, really do. We have all the observations and we're growing them year by year. Yeah. We're getting better year on year on observing our failures for our planet. <laughs> that is true. Oh. But actually, we all need to start listening to each other. We need to communicate better. We need thousands and thousands of communication projects on our climate and our environment so we can understand each other's perspectives. Yeah, and, and also the ego yeah. thing as well. Like it's so important to address that you have failed in the past, people have failed. Like science isn't always perfect. Like you can make the wrong observations and things and accepting that and then allowing to grow forward. Like, I mean, as researchers, Kofi and I, we fail all the time with our oh, yeah. PhDs and things like that. So it's important. Obviously, that's on a very, very small scale, but it stems upwards, right? Um, yeah. And having that communication, as you say, is so vital to be able to, I guess, lower the, stay humble, really, and just say, we're in this together. And again, that yeah. whole, whole point, again, coming back yeah. to why it's so important to... And particularly yeah. for your generation who are doing research now, and, you know, we all know that we need to reach net zero in our emissions in the next few decades, but what we forget sometimes is after that, 
our emissions need to go negative mm. and that's when life gets really difficult and it's you guys who are going to be yeah. working when we have to make those changes sure. in our engineering solutions our production our travel our food systems yeah. um yeah sorry about that no no but, uh, <laughs> part of the problem but we got to sort it so that's a bit Another question I had for you, because we're all so deeply immersed in the, you know, the world of climate. Your talk was called Climate Apocalypse. Or... It's called Environmental Apocalypse Sorry, and Me. Yeah, that's like, it's not meant to be cheery. Yeah. <laughs> this, so how, how do you maintain hope as well? Like, because do, do you have hope? Do we all have hope? You know, do we all, are we all confident it's going to work out? Or what do we think? It's a good question. I, uh, possible has a, you know, our like, tagline is about being hopeful, but yeah. we kind of changed it to stubborn optimism now. <laughs> you it actually used had to, be, to change from yeah, hope to Well, it used to be more like a naive hope, I think. Oh, like or it was like good. a hope, yeah, yeah, like very jolly, mm. and now it's like a stubborn optimism. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> and I think, you know, I do think, I do have hope, but it, uh, it's difficult. Like, mm. uh, I think the government hasn't been helping. Mm. Um, successive governments not just this one That's but um yeah. yeah and so that that can be hard, hard on your little but light of hope but if you don't have hope then you know, yeah. what's the point then? So, yeah. 100%. I was going to say, that's exactly it. You've got to have hope 100% with everything. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, you're a bit of a fraud, I guess, in the, in yeah. with, um, with every, yeah. of every avenue of what you're researching and working with and things. I guess, and, yeah. And, you know, I think, yes, I agree. I agree completely. We've got to have hope and it's got to be realistic hope. And, yeah. and we keep trying. You know, mm. what I want is for global leaders at the next climate COP coming up in the next few months to change course to actually meet our climate targets mm. and I'll keep hoping that and keep trying to have conversations about why we need to do that and I think that's kind of what we all do. Yeah. Absolutely. Cove, what do you think? Yeah, well, so uh, hopefully you feel the same but like being deeply immersed in like the science science of it all, you do see, I see more positive things than negative things Yeah. in like my little world. So yeah, like energy wise, yeah. Yeah. we are making advances in the science. And I went to, I don't know if you were there, but we went to a, in like the halls of government, it was Whitehall. It was an energy policy masterclass. It was just weird like meeting of all the great minds in energy policy that I was Sounds there. amazing. It was, they had like the head of the Royal Society who was working on a, um, he'd been commissioned by the government to sort of give a report on just the future of British energy. The head of like, a branch of the IPCC was there doing the same thing. Just loads of these people sort of presenting their pictures for the future of British energy. And like having like really passionate, basically rows about it, like standing up, like, you know, quite fighting. Getting right in there, really? Really, yeah. Like this one dude um, would just stand up in the middle of a talk and just point, no. Wow. <laughs> Very, but, and it was, no, but, but like it gave me <laughs> a lot some of passion hope. passion in the room. Because yeah, yeah. passion nice. is the thing you want to see, right? Yeah. Because yeah. all the pictures they were making were extremely like optimistic, well, not optimistic, but like uh, reassuring. That's great. They were actually these, trying to fix the problem. Yeah. And these were the people that are like, you know, whispering in the whole ears of the prime minister, and the fact they're so passionate. Yeah. And that's like, cool. that's what's great. Yeah. And then they really know what they're talking about. That 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 really did, like, because you were yeah. saying about the government, like successive governments, there's yeah. been failings. Mm. But yeah. it's nice to know, get this little peek behind the curtain that there Definitely. is. The cogs are turning in the right way, and whether yeah. you know, it'll reach people are trying yeah. up yeah. the chain, but they yeah. are. I think. I think my concern is always what voices are missing in those rooms of power. There was that a lot always yeah. in terms of frightens me. In terms um, of diversity, it's yeah. not diverse, it's not, but yeah, but we're getting there, one one step at a time. Yeah, yeah. Arthur, how are you in hope? No, no, yeah, same thing as I said. Like, it's, um, 
you've got to stay hopeful. You've got, you've, got to, you've, got to, you've got to, and it's true. You've got to work on your problem first. So as everyone, we've all doing on very different things. Um, you've got to work on developing your own skill, making sure what you're doing is making advances and showing that you're having individual impact with your with our research and also just day-to-day -day life. But then hopefully that can then scale up and then link to bigger stakeholders and other big, on bigger, bigger, bigger positions of power, and then Definitely. you can make more impact. Well. I want to say thank you to you guys for the work that you're doing, actually, as NGOs and as higher education and as science research students. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you as well. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs>